0: Micah chapter 3, please. Micah chapter 3. <clears throat> Again, it's page 793 in your pew Bible. <clears throat> we looked last week at verses 1 through 4. at savage hearts and the chapter 3 is the beginning of the second message the second sermon here of Micah and it's there're always cycles of judgment and salvation and and this particular section, is second sermon, the Judgment is in 3, 1 through 12, and the Restoration or Salvation theme is in chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 15. So basically chapter 4 and 5. And, and last week we looked at the government authorities and the judges uh, that were addressed. Um, they, they were uh, uh, warned against their, their, uh, their, their, their lack of knowing justice. They should have known God's justice. And they did it. They didn't practice it. And their accusation there is in the end of verse... 3 and verse 2 and and they hate the good and they love evil so he he uh, accuses them of, uh, of who they were and what they did they had a refusal uh, uh, to obey God's truth but it was all rooted in their hearts he says you hate good and you love evil and our hates and our goods come come from our, our, our hates and our loves come deep within our hearts and he peers into their hearts and he says your hearts are evil and then in verse 3, he talks about the repulsiveness of what they were doing. He says, they eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, break their bones, etc. He says, you guys uh, are like cannibals in what you're doing to people. Uh, here in the way that you are executing justice, uh, you might as well just be cannibalizing your own people. It was horrible. And then he pronounces uh uh earlier uh, later on in verse 4 he says um they shall cry to the Lord but he will not hear them he will even hide his face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings and so the authorities were abandoned authorities were abandoned it was a difficult passage and one that I had um uh, as I was writing the sermon and thinking about the texts of the, the truths here, uh, hit my heart uh, very deeply, and and, uh, and and there were tears shed as I as I wrote that sermon. And one of the things I mentioned was uh, that, in some of the parallels. How how can God bless America? Uh, and, and and some some of the things that we're going on, or we're hearing about going on, are going on. And, and the psalmist says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord." And it's hard to say that the God of Jehovah is a, is, the, is the Lord of, uh, He's the God that America worships. And I I, I, I felt that um, America uh, uh, is, a, is is a land that is now facing God's judgment. And some of the very words I, I used were, if America does not repent, God cannot bless America, He will have to damn America, in the sense of the biblical understanding of that word, not the, not the casual uh, uh, you know, way that that word might be thrown around at work. In other words, the judgment of God, and how hard it was for me and my conscience to sing, God bless America, presume on His grace. And I want to I I clarify that here. Uh, I had several people say, thank you for speaking the truth. And then I had a few people say, well, what are you talking about here? First of all, uh, number one, uh, when I understand that God is judging America for its sin, that does not mean that Pastor Jamie does not love America. I love this nation. But it's very hard for me to see a tray of aborted babies and say god bless america but I want to, I want to push back from that a little bit too because god judges sin god judges sin and so my statement was too broad it was too broad My statement needed to be clarified, and that's the error of the communicator, not the error of those who listen. My statement needed to be clarified for you to understand that may God judge the sin of the wicked. You see, there are many wonderful things about America, too. There are many great and wonderful things. And America has done much good for the world, despite some of the spin against that. So let me clarify and say, may God judge, may God damn, may God punish the wickedness of America. Those who are walking uprightly, and there's always a remnant. There was a remnant in the nation of Israel. You'll see this in the book of Micah. Those who are walking uprightly, folks, you are never under God's judgment. You are under the blessing of God through Jesus Christ. So let me clarify that But let me also say That unless America repents America will face judgment And is facing judgment You understand that the things that are happening in America Are God's judgment In other words, it's not like God has to All of a sudden send down lightning bolts Romans chapter 1 In the book of Thessalonians Talks about how God turns them over To their own evil and it's a frightening thing to see the things that are happening at at lightning pace here so understand that what is happening is also part of God's judgment for the sins that have been so harbored but I want to clarify that and and, and, and I hope you understand I was not uh, I I, I did too broad a brush here and I want to clarify that and I hope you catch my heart in that understand what I was saying and not interpret what I was not saying here but having begun in that ironically and he's following verses in Micah chapter 3 verses 5 through eight Micah verses 1 through 4 has addressed the government leaders now in verses 5 through 8 he is going to address the prophets the spiritual leaders of Israel the spiritual leaders and in Micah chapter. Three and verse five, he says, "Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against them." Now, first of all, Micah is going to describe these people, these prophets, who predict, they will predict peace and prosperity if you give them a morsel of bread, if you take care of their needs, if you, if you slip them a dollar bill. They'll predict peace and prosperity for Israel and lead the people astray, setting before Israel prosperity and salvation without repentance. So... In these first verses here, in this section here, you have the prosecution of what I call pseudo prophets, false prophets. The prosecution of prophets. You see that first of all, they are uh, false prophets because of, because of their public misleading. Their public misleading. Look at verse five again. He says, "Thus saith the Lord concerning the people that make my pe- uh, concerning the prophets that make my people err. That word err means to be led astray, to be led astray. And so they are publicly misleading the people in general. In general, there's a public misleading. But also notice in the text there, as he continues on, there's also a private misrepresenting. A private misrepresenting. Look what he says in verse 5. That bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he that putteth not on their mouths to even prepare war against them. What it means is this. um, uh, generally, they are leading the people astray. But in their individual dealings with people, there was a private misrepresenting, a private misrepresenting. The idea is they bite with their teeth and cry peace. And if someone doesn't put some of their in their mouth, they declare war against them. The words "bite with their teeth" um, <clears throat> is um, the idea that uh, you. Uh, For for a fee, they would pronounce prosperity, and they would, uh, uh, you know, you feed me, you take care of me, I'll I'll, I'll say this nice thing, basically. But those who wouldn't take care of him, then they would pronounce judgment on him. You can see the self-serving there. And it really uh, is, is is a reminder of what... Paul says to Timothy, showing that this is, this is an issue of the human heart through all the ages, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. They will seek out people who will say what they want them to say. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on the fables. But watch thou in all things. So they were privately misrepresenting God, the people, with, first of all, they're flattering. They're flattering. Yeah. I'll declare this about you. I'll declare this about your future. If you, you know, take care of me here. They're flattering. But then those who would not they would use uh, bully tactics and, and they would uh, misrepresent God in their frightening of people. Look what he says in verse 5 And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against them. Oh, you're not going to take care of me? God's going to judge you, kind of a thing. All right. So you can see there's a misrepresentation here. So that's the that's the issue here. Um, people wanted to have their ears tickled. Everything's going to be great. God is going is, is 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 taking care of this nation. We're the covenant people of God. We're Abraham's children. They said to Jesus in John's eight John John chapter eight. Everything should be wonderful. And they wouldn't accept the truth and the declaration uh, to command to repent. So they were publicly misled and privately misrepresenting God and His Word through flattering and frightening. But secondly, there is a prediction of punishment for this. A prediction of punishment. Look here in uh, in, in verse 6 and 7. Therefore, night shall be unto you. As a result of this, this is what shall happen to you prophets, you false prophets. Night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers, those are prophets, uh, future predictors, be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. First of all, I want you to see in this prediction of punishment, there is a dark silence. A dark silence. Night falls, picture here. When you think of night, somebody says the night is coming. That's, that's not something that you say, oh, great, the night's coming, right? That's impending, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heaviness. There's, a, there's impending doom. Devastation would come. And, and, the, and the prophet Michael, speaking the truth of God, says, when the captivity comes and you are taken away by the Babylonians, then you prophets would have no visions or divination. You would have been saying everything's going to be just great. Everything's going to be wonderful. Carry on. God's blessing you. They'd be counseling people to go on living as they had been. God's not going to judge this nation. And suddenly, judgment would come. The night would come. And everything they had prophesied and said falsely to tickle the ears of the people would prove to be false. And when judgment came, you could be sure the people would say, Wait a minute. Remember I fed you that? I gave you that? You said it would be great. Judgment came, and the prophets would be unable to explain it. They would bask in the in the sunlight of of power and affluence here at one point, and then that sun would go down. The sun would go down, and they're prophesying. And their nights would be uh, devoid and dark. At the time their false predictions of peace would be discarded by the reality of. The captivity that would come through this pagan nation of Babylon, eventually. Notice that not only is there a dark silence, but in this passage here, there is the sense of shame. Sense of shame. Here they were, running the town, running the nation, saying what wanted to be said. And then when reality comes, and God's judgment struck the nation, they can't even show their faces. Look at verse 7. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. They just hide their faces. Covering the lips was a sign of shame in that culture. That word uh, signifies that word of shame. There signifies to become pale with shame, to blush with. So there's a a deserved shame that happens here in this prediction of punishment. And all that is said to contrast what Micah says about himself and his relationship with the Lord in verse 8. So look in verse 8. Very important. Micah says this But truly I am full of the power of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Notice the contrast here. The contrast. There is, thirdly, the provision of power for the true prophet of God. Micah is this in contrast to you false uh, uh, teachers who, who, who want to just uh, uh, use God, uh, you, you attach God's name to your words, you want to use them for your own profit. He says, I will speak the truth to you, and I will do it by the help of the Holy Spirit, I will do it in power. I will do it and declare justice. That's that word again mispaid that we've been talking about for a, few, for a few weeks here. Declare justice. Things that have been neglected, the ethics, you know, of Israel, how people were to be treated and taken care of, the relationship with the Lord. And he says uh, in verse eight, and might or valor, courage. And notice how this all expresses itself. To declare sin. But tell Israel that they were sinning. He's not going to back away. He's not going to back away. So there is a provision of power, and it's a picture of unvacillating power. Here were these other speakers who would move with the times, right? They would move with the circumstances. Whatever made people happy, that's what they would say. He says, I'm unvacillating. I want to, I want to, I want to challenge you this morning. Do not vacillate on the truth. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says one of the marks of maturity, as the body grows up and he's equipped to do ministry and it speaks the truth in love, is that that people are no longer children. And how does he describe children? He describes children as being tossed about with every wind of doctrine. It's a picture of a cork on the waves, right? It just goes where the wave goes. Not tossed about. To be grounded deeply. To stand in the truth, to be established. It's why Paul labors and the men and I were looking this morning at where Paul says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Stand in the truth. Be anchored in the truth. He, there's a provision of power. He says, but as for me, so there's a contrast between God's true prophet, Micah, and the false prophets of those verses. Micah says, I'm filled with power. I'm filled with power. And the idea is he's filled with power by the help of the Spirit. The false prophets, they're motivated by greed. Micah, empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. Um, keep your finger there. Go with me to Second to Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. And verse 20 and 21. Actually, Second Peter 1:21. "For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. That's a good thing. If the Word of God came by what man wanted it to say, it would be, well, virtually every other religion, right? Be a better person, earn your way, pat yourself on the back. No, but holy men of God spake as they were moved and that he is being carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is, that is what Mike is saying is, is, is happening with his message. He is being moved by the Spirit of God. He is empowered by the Spirit of God. He is the Lord's Spirit-filled messenger. Filled with power. With the help of the Spirit. Implying false prophets not empowered by the Spirit, but motivated by greed. But notice what he says and back in Micah chapter 3, verse 8. I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment. That word again, mispaced. Justice is the idea. Used frequently. Not only that, but he says, and of might. And of might. It's the word gabar, gabora. It means might, valor, manly courage here. You know, it takes some courage. It takes some guts to stand for truth. And everybody says, you're intolerant. Or you're hating. No. No, I'm speaking the truth. I love you, but that is not the truth. This is the truth. To speak the truth with love is not hate. So so Micah can fearlessly cry out against the sin of the house of Israel because he is mighty in valor. He will stand with the truth. He is seeking justice in Israel. And he is filled with power by the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's how this breaks down. Where does Micah's power come from? The help? The helper. The comforter. The spirit. Okay? Comes from the Spirit of God. Um, <clears throat> Next, you can see that He's coming with justice, healing to the land, the the the, the 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 roads being set straight again, the healing to the land. Thirdly, in addition to this help developed by the Spirit is healing, a taste for justice. There is a there is a sense of of of, of heroicness, a uh, uh, hero here, and I'm not using that in a in a man centered sense, but of valor. Micah's probably a very ordinary guy. He comes from a small village. But he's going to stand up and speak the truth. He's going to be true no matter what the political pressures are. There's, there's a valiant Mike here. And uh, as I was researching and studying this passage, the Hebrew scholars say there's, these three things here are all kind of part of one concept. They're all together to put together one concept. And it's this. Micah is saying, and listen... That there is a spirit-energized power here that victoriously establishes justice through him through the speaking of the word of God in His land. And look how it does it. Look how it does it. Look at the end of verse 8. To declare unto Jacob his transgression Israel's sin. To declare the sins of Israel, simply. is what he's saying. So there's an honesty. I want you to understand something this morning. All those three things ahead produced this. And enabled Micah and the pressures and in the, in the criticisms to speak honestly and boldness. You see, Micah does not say inside of me, inside of my human soul, I can do all these things. Micah says this, it is not from within the human soul, but it is from God Himself by the filling of the power of the Spirit that Micah can carry the Word of God to the people and he can be carried by the Word of God to the people. He is unflinching with the Spirit of Christ. As I close this morning, I want us to see a little bit of a picture of this um, because we have in the New Covenant an even greater filling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God would come upon it, would fill people, it seems, uh, for for a certain time, but uh, it is not like the permanent reality that the New Covenant believer experiences. Would you go with me to John chapter 14? Because there's a connection here to what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. i shared this before, and I've said this before, but it's so true. If we were asked, and we're honest, would you rather have Jesus Christ physically standing next to you and being with you, or would you rather have the Spirit of God inside of you? We'd probably say, yeah, I'd love to have Jesus there. Because maybe we don't understand the power of the Spirit inside of us. You know, Jesus says that it was better for the Spirit of God to be inside of you than for Jesus to be physically with you. Look in John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18. John 14, verse 16, page 926 in your pew Bible. I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you, remain with you forever. Now that's in contrast to Jesus. Jesus will be sending back up to heaven. He says this comforter is going to be with you forever. And now He tells us who it is verse 17. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not. Neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him. For He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. That's literally, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Go with me over to verse 25 through 28. Jesus says, "...these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved Me, you would rejoice." He's saying, this is great, this is better news than me staying with you. Because I said I go unto my Father, for my Father is greater than I. Flip over to chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. He says, But when this Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning we don't have time to read all the verses but John chapter 16 verses 5 through 14 talks more of the spirit in verse 7 he says nevertheless I tell you the truth it is expedient for you that I go away it's better for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if I depart I will send him unto you To speak of Jesus and convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment And it's it's wonderful. Because everything that Jesus was, in boldness, in love, in truth, do you understand? is given to you, as brothers and sisters, through His Spirit. The life of Christ is ministered to you through the Holy Spirit. In Micah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Micah. And in Micah... Chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And the Spirit helps them declare it boldly and powerfully. You know, a good example of this happening here is, is Peter. So, go to go to Luke chapter 22 with me. And Luke chapter 22, in verse 31 through 34. Jesus warns Peter, before Jesus is killed the next day, that Peter will deny him. Satan will chew him up and spit him out. But Jesus is praying for him. Luke 22, verse 31 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both in the prison and the death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny I thou knowest me. Later, when you look in chapter fifty-four and verse uh, it's, uh, chapter twenty-two, verse fifty-four through sixty, you see Peter did exactly what Jesus said. Then Jesus rises from the dead. He restores Peter, and in chapter twenty-four, verses forty-four through forty-nine, he says this: Luke twenty-four, verse forty-four. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding. They might understand the Scriptures. Instead of them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Now look at this, verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. I'll flip over a book to Acts chapter 1. Because I'm going to send the promise of the Father. And you're going to be endued with power. Sounds a little bit what Micah associates the Holy Spirit with. Acts 1 verse 4. He brushes that question aside. He says, "It's not." Unto, he said to them, "It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, for the Father hath put in His power, but He says, uh, put, uh, put in His own power." He says, "Focus on this, verse eight. But ye shall receive power when, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Result, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth." Does that happen? Go to Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. They're still gathered. Verse 2 of Acts 2 it says And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they appeared unto them, clothed in tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want to see the broad principle here is that when the Spirit comes, He gives them boldness and they speak. They speak God's Word. They speak God's Word. Uh, there are other passages all throughout the book of Acts here that if you, do, if you do a study in your concordance of Spirit in the book of Acts, see what happens as a result when the Spirit comes. In all the situations where people are saved and the Spirit comes upon them, almost all of them, there is a speaking the words of God. There is a boldness that occurs. It's amazing. And we're told in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine, where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And you know what follows in verse 19? Speaking. Speaking. Speaking to yourselves. In Psalms and hymns. Speaking. We talk about Jesus being the Word of God in John 1. The Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And Jesus, the Word of God, came. But do you know how Jesus communicated the truth of God? If you look in Luke chapter four, as Jesus is praying, and he's baptized by John, it says the Spirit of God comes upon him. Like a dove. The very next verse talks about Jesus beginning his ministry. Beginning his ministry. The word of the Lord came to Micah and won one. He talks about the filling of the power of the Holy Spirit to why he could have this ministry in chapter 3 and verse 8. And I wonder, perhaps, in the church, any lack of ministry in my life, any lack of ministry in your life that God is calling me to do is because there is a lack of the filling of the Holy Spirit, a control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus, the Word of God, came, and He communicated the truth of God to us through the power of the Spirit. In closing, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see that the Word of God came to you in the Gospel of Jesus. And when it came to you and you received it, you received the very Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And that Spirit of God dwelling inside of you was to declare the praises of the glory of His grace. Peter will say in the book of Peter, to show forth the excellencies of His praises. Look in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. As Paul rehearses uh, what had gone on in the Ephesian believers' lives, he says this, "...that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, and whom He also trusted after that He heard the word of truth, the gospel, or the good news of your salvation." You received it, you heard it, in whom also after that ye believed. You got it, you, you rested on that alone. Then he says, Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance under the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. You know what Paul says to the Ephesians after that? He says, you receive the word of truth, the gospel. You believe that he put the spirit in you. And then Paul says, and now I'm hearing things about your lives. Look at the next verse. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto the, all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge, and that you'll grow in, in the spirits. Walk. The eyes of your understanding becoming enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is to be named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. You know how all that happens? That happens when we receive the Gospel and God puts His Spirit in us. You know when you receive the Gospel? That's when God put His Spirit in you. He baptized you in the Spirit. He immersed you in the Spirit. And if He has... That gives you a boldness and a power in your daily life, a boldness in your words to speak the truth. As you have a, rich, as we have a rich heritage of that here in the scriptures, we can see those like Micah, even before the Spirit came in a, in a, in a special way in Acts two, he preached, he proclaimed the truth boldly, and also it produces fruit in our lives. In a life that does not produce fruit. We should be very concerned about and examine. Because the evidence of the Spirit is light that overflows. We all produce dead at different stages in different ways, but if there's nothing and there's deadness, Paul says in Romans chapter eight if there is no spirit in you, you are dead. Have you ever thought about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have a life through him? We have life through Jesus in His name. We have life that comes out and works in us through the Spirit of God. Perhaps the very first thing of turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving the one who He sent as He ascended, the very first step you need to do is trust in Jesus Christ alone. Perhaps Jesus Christ is not the Savior. Of your life. He is not the one who has rescued you. You are trying to do it on your own. Oh, you're trusting in Jesus and something else. Jesus Christ is the way, he said, the truth, the life. No other man comes to the Father but by me. And he gives you something even greater than him standing beside you physically. He gives you the Spirit inside of you. Have you come to Jesus? Believers, are you walking in the footsteps of the Spirit? Through His Word, are you plotting His path through the Word of God and putting your foot in those footsteps and moving ahead by His power? Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder this morning if there's perhaps somebody whose the Spirit is working in your heart and telling you, "No, I, I know about Jesus. He's great, but He's not all. I'm trusting Him for my eternal salvation." Today, this morning, I'm going to call upon the name of Lord Jesus, Christ alone and his work for me, taking my sin upon the cross, giving me his perfect record in life and life in my place as my only hope this morning. Anyone here this morning that say that's true of you? Would you lift your hand? Today, today, I'm calling upon Christ as my hope. Believers, are we walking in the Spirit? Are we filled with the Spirit? Are we surrendering our life to His control? How's our witness, our boldness? How's our deeds, our walk in Him? Is there fruit? Is it getting stuck in our head? Is it flowing out in our lives? Are we clean vessels for His use? I would say like Micah, that we're filled with power. Is there sin that needs to be confessed? Things that need to be forsaken? Christ that needs to be clung to? Love for God? Love for people? That needs to be replaced? That needs to replace our love for self?